You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. And it hopes to kind of uh, model some hospitality. Instead of having a typical sermon, uh, we're going to have a conversation, um, a conversation about uh, hospitality. So um, you all know Chris. Uh, he, he, Chris and Julie and the family have been with us for about a year. Though Chris and I have been friends for about eight or nine years, uh, we first met. And then um, we've been, you know, dreamed time and again what it would be like if we kind of lived close to each other. When, I, when we first met, I was living here, and they were living in Oklahoma. And then they moved to Tennessee, which is a little closer. And uh, then they moved to the south side of Lakeland, which is a little closer. Next then, step is we just move into your house. There you go. <laughs> That'd be nice. So um, let's, let's talk a bit uh, about hospitality. Um, you know, Diane says it's kind of equivalent to salvation in some ways, that it's Jesus-y, yeah. which I like. Um, but in some ways, I want to say it's more than yeah. just Jesus, right? It's, it's, it's Jesus's original community. Yes, I lo- well done. Yeah, I mean, because that, that original community is God, right? And uh, for Christians, talk about hospitality begins not just with how God has engaged us, but with how God engages God. So Christians have this sometimes considered esoteric doctrine of the Trinity, which gets dismissed a lot. And if it's engaged at all, it's engaged as something too complicated really to understand. But the, the heart of the doctrine of the Trinity is just that God's life is a life of hospitality. That's why there is anything at all. God creates out of that hospitality. It's not that creation comes about and then God decides to be hospitable. It's that God's life is already so much joy and happiness. God's life is already feast and creation is birthed out of that. It's as if the father and son say to each other, we're having such a good time, we really should let some others in on this, right? And that's where creation comes from. So one of the theologians talks about um, the, the love between the father and the son being the spirit, yes. the, the love, the lover, and the spirit. Yeah. Who is that? So Augustine is the most famous one, but that, that shows up everywhere in the tradition, this idea that God is the lover, the Son is the beloved, and the Spirit is the love between them. And I think you could just say the same thing another way. You could say the Father is the host, the Son is the guest, and the Spirit is hospitality itself, right? And that, that's who God is eternally, infinitely. So then, if, if that's who God is, then what would it mean for us to somehow participate with God or to be in relationship with God? So I think the, it's, it's fascinating. There's a story, called, it's often called the hospitality of Abraham, which has launched a, a whole tradition of Christian art, uh, iconic images and paintings, sculptures, of Abraham entertaining three strangers. And... Early Christian interpreters, people like Cyril of Alexandria, Maximus the Confessor, they, they say it's not accidental that when God manifests himself to Abraham, he manifests himself as a communion, as these three guests who come. And there's a wonderful sermon, I think it's by Basil the Great, but it's one, one of the Cappadocians, 
who talks about how if in his reading of Genesis, it says that Abraham was sitting at his tent looking out and he sees three strangers and he rushes to them and says, do not pass me by, come in. And Basel makes the point that hospitality is not passive. It doesn't wait for guests to arrive. It goes to them. And then he makes that connection. That is exactly what God has done to us. He looks at us and does not let us pass by, but rushes out to us. So I think one of the things that's striking about that iconic tradition, so probably the most famous icon, maybe, certainly one of the most famous icons in, in the world is Rublev's Hospitality of Abraham icon, which is often called Rublev's Trinity icon. And one of the things that's... It's this one. It's, yeah, this one here that you can see behind me. It's one of the things that's striking about it. I often show this to students and then compare it with Rodin's um, The Kiss. So there's a famous sculptor who made... He, he's most famously known, I think, for the thinking man sculpture that, that you all will have seen uh, reproduced illegally on all kinds of websites. But he has a sculpture that's actually based on Dante's Inferno, The Gates of Hell, and it shows a man and a woman kissing, and they're so tightly embraced that we can't even see their faces anymore. And one of the things I ask my students to do is compare that image with this one, where we see three, three guests sitting around a table, but we can see all of their faces. And there's literally room at the table for us. Right? And this... This is intentional on Rublev's part, right? That he's, he's painted God's life in such a way that there's room at the table with God for us, right? That we can approach and that God's life is open in a way that the, the lovers' lives is clo are closed, right? The lovers are, are so turned to each other that there's no room for us in their embrace and there's no way to see their faces. And that's what God's life could have been, right? Before there is anything at all, God is already everything he needs to be. And if God's life was just father-son, it would have been closed like that kiss, right? Where you can't, we couldn't see their faces and there would have been no room for us in the embrace. But God's life is like this, right? God's life is a, a trinity that is open. The faces are, are open to us, then there's room at the table. I think if we can get that right, then we start to understand why for the early Christians, hospitality is the Christian virtue. It is, so if we're talking about all these practices like fasting, baptism, and so on, hospitality is the definitive practice for early Christians. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's a good point. So we're not anti-baptism. Right. We're certainly right. not anti-mercy. We're not anti-justice. But we, we kind of need to start with hospitality so that hospitality is not something that's just, you know, Southern culture, right. right? It's not just being polite like your mom told you to be or nice, but your acts or our acts of hospitality, literally, the way I feel, you're very hospitable to me in our friendship. But in our lives, in all of our lives, hospitality is the practice of following God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's literally being like God for one another. And like, as in this story, this icon shows us, I mean, God is always both guest and host. The Father is God, host, but the Son is also God, guest. And hospitality is just as much about how you are as guest as it is how you are as host. Mm. And to be people of the Spirit... To I needed an aisle to run down, but I didn't have one. <laughs> I just had all these... Run around the tables. Run around the tables. A chandelier to swing from or something. Yeah, but I mean, that's, that's where... 
That's what should mark the Christian community above everything else is hospitality because that's what it, to have the spirit is literally to have to be filled with hospi- hospitality to be filled with a kind of hospitable spirit mm-hmm. and that should mark our lives whatever our role happens to be right whether we're literally the host or literally the guest yeah i think sometimes people uh, feel like they can be the host, right? They can, that, right. That's hospitality. Right. But the idea that the guest is also hospitable yeah. is, is a challenge, right? Sorry, I'm not being very hospitable when I interrupt you. That's but, right. But I think this is, this is a point where Southern hospitality isn't really Christian hospitality. Because you think about how part of Southern hospitality is you reject hospitality first, right? You try to downplay it. Mm-hmm. No, don't do that for me, yeah. right? And this is why Stanley Hauerwas says Southern hospitality is just a, a very calculated form of cruelty, mm. right? That it's not, as somebody said, amen. Right? <laughs> somebody run the aisles on that one, right? <laughs> but there's a way in which Southern hospitality is a kind of politeness that assumes an underlying tension, an underlying conflictedness. Whereas with God, there is, there's no... There's no ulterior, there's no ulterior motive, right? There's yeah. just, it's hospitality all the way down. Yeah, it's hard sometimes to receive hospitality, I think, from someone that you deem not your equal. Yeah. And, the, and that has more to say about our sense of ego yes. than it actually has to do with, you know, inability to kind of receive hospitality. Yeah, this is, so a lot of early... Christian preachers and, and theologians make this point that in the Greco-Roman world, hospitality was essential, right? I mean, this is a place where there are few hospitals, there are no hotels, right? Mm. Like, there's no hospitality industry. Like, if there's going to be hospitality, you're going to have to do it. But in, in the Greco-Roman world, as these early Christians saw it, it was all really about using that system of hospitality to leverage patronage, right? So you would, you would only offer a gift because you were expecting some greater gift in return. Mm-hmm. And these early Christian teachers said, That's, there's no ulterior motive with hospitality. Literally, anyone can be hospitable, no matter how poor you are. This is one of the reasons that women, so like in the New Testament, you see widows take on the leading role of showing hospitality, which is stunning in the Greco-Roman world, right? That these women are, are not just serving while the man hosts. They are the hosts mm. in the Christian community. And how would they have the capacity to do such things? Right, the, exactly. They're, they're widows who are cared for by the church, and yet they take the responsibility to care for those who have needs within the community. And so it's shocking that they're allowed to do it. But also these early you know, people like Chrysostom and Maximus that I already mentioned and Gregory, what they're saying is Christian hospitality has no ulterior motive. Like we show kindness to people Period. We don't show kindness to people so that they will be obligated to respond to us in some, in some way, right? We just, we give and we expect nothing in return because that's who God is and that's the life that's alive in us. Yeah, let, let's talk uh, a little bit about the practice of hospitality, not just as, say, individuals, but how we might practice hospitality as a community more collectively yeah. or at a larger scale. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, it'd be really interesting if we could get honest responses from the people who are guests here at Oasis who come through. And it's really hard to get, because it's, it's awkward, it's socially awkward, right? But I think that my sense is we're never as hospitable as we think we are communally, right? Like I think I did a master's degree in church growth 
it was useless. I, I, was, I planted a church and it didn't grow. But I did a master's degree in it. And one of the things that there's been actually a lot of research done on churches and how they self-identify. And I'll never forget, like, one of the few things that I actually gained from that degree was this research that almost every church thinks of itself as hospitable. And almost every church is revealed by its guests not to be. Right? So I think the first thing would be, are we honest with ourselves about how hospitable are we truly? Now, I've found Oasis to be incredibly hospitable. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that you were already hospitable to me, right? Like you had already made room at the table for me and my family before I ever came here. So I think there's a way in which there's, there, we need to have some pretty honest conversations with each other about what, what are we actually doing versus what do we want to be doing, right? But I think we need to think not only about Oasis and a local church community, but on, on larger and larger scales, right? That, that every dimension of our society, right from our personal lives, through our families, through our churches, right on up, should be hospitable. Uh, there, I was reading the letters of Basel just the other day. They're hilarious, for one thing. But there are two different letters that I stumbled on. I don't know how many there are for sure, but at least two, where he writes to people, to governors, to tell them to stop taxing hospitals. Right? So he's not just thinking, he's not just telling individual Christians be nice to people, right? He's thinking structurally, right? He's thinking about regions under his care as a bishop, and he's writing to the governors of those regions and saying, do not tax these hospitals. Like, you're not allowed to do that. So I think part of thinking Christianly is thinking at that scale too, right? Thinking, and of course, you know, all of the immigration debates that are kind of roiling right now. Now, I don't, I don't know how much we're thinking about those things via hospitality. I was talking to Ricky Moore this week, who's a mentor for both Robbie and me, and he's just finished an Isaiah commentary. And Ricky told me what I had never known. I should have noticed, but I'd never noticed, is that the passage in Isaiah where the Lord says, my house shall be a house of prayer for all peoples, is actually a prophetic statement about immigration. That he's saying, don't keep these people from coming to us because my house is a house for them too. Right? It's a kind of reminder that Israel is not your house, it's my house. You're already guests. How dare you think about other people as unworthy guests when you've been included already from the beginning? Right? So it seems to me we need to think theologically, Christianly, about big issues, not just, is my house open? Yeah, and I feel like we got at that a little bit in the summer. We did, the, uh, we did a service on the merciful Samaritan, yes. right? And we, we titled it that because the text never calls the Samaritan good. But it, the text does refer to the Samaritan as acting with mercy. Yes. And so we have those acts of mercy that can take place on a very personal level and acts of mercy that can take place on a more communal level where we do things for the community. And then we followed that up. I think it, it might have been the very next week where we did a sermon on justice so that justice doesn't seek to address the symptoms of the problems, but it seeks to address the causes of the problems. Yeah, where we go and find the village yeah. where people are being thrown into the river. Exactly. Yeah. And so for Basel, I mean, to say don't tax hospitals, I mean, hospital, right. hospitality, yeah. it's, the same, it's the same root word. Absolutely. Hospitals are hospitable because they care for the sick. Absolutely. And, and I, I like to, I've, uh, I'll quote something else I, I've heard you say. On that list of things, 
where Jesus is identifying with the the least and the lost um, in Matthew, right? Yes, yes, so there's, yes. I've heard you say there's, there's the uh, thirsty, we can give them something to drink. Like they're thirsty, we have water, they get a drink, they're not thirsty anymore. <laughs> they're hungry, we can give them something to eat. They're naked, we can, we can clothe them. They're a stranger, we can welcome them. And I'll, I'll just testify a minute. I've often asked my students, and my students are ministry students. These are folks who are planning on being pastors or missionaries or counselors. And we'll go down that list in Matthew 25, and almost without fail, in fact, not almost, without fail, every time I ask it, they can come up with the thirsty and the hungry and the naked and the, and the sick and the prisoner. And they never mention the stranger. The stranger always gets left out. And they always seem surprised that they didn't know it. But I think maybe we shouldn't be surprised that they didn't know it because we don't have practices of actually welcoming the stranger. Right. Like your, your point yeah. about we're not as hospitable as we imagine we are is, is just true. And we've actually been formed or maybe we should say deformed yes. in such a way that we don't have the capacity to see how inhospitable we actually are. But just real quick, the, 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 the next point that you made really rattled me because it said, and, and I was sick and you cared for me, not I was sick and you healed me. Right. And there's a difference because in, in my tradition, if you're sick, we pray for you and you're healed and that's it. God can do it, right? But what happens to those who aren't healed? And Jesus didn't say, I was sick and you healed me. He said, I was sick and you cared for me. And caring for them means being with them. Long, long term. Long term, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Julie's actually, prisoner, yeah. She, Julia was taking a class, if I remember rightly, she was taking a, class, a counseling class and they talked about that passage and she's the one who pointed that out to me, mm. that Jesus is caring for these people. He's not healing them right? and celebrating that his, his followers have done this. To your point about kind of hospitality, not being as hospitable as we think we are, I think that's because we've been taught, and here I mean Christians, especially Christians who've been shaped in conservative traditions, have been taught that our morality dictates our hospitality. So we don't show hospitality to people who are immoral, at least if they're going to continue in that immorality. Just like Jesus. Right, exactly, right, exactly. That was and, facetious. <laughs> That's facetious. Jesus, he was showing hospitality to everybody. I, I, one of the most provocative stories in the New Testament, I think, is the story of the centurion who has a servant that he loves and come, is coming to Jesus to say, my servant is sick, and, or sends his servants to tell Jesus that his servant is sick. And Jesus heals this slave boy for this Roman centurion, and then says about the centurion, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. This is a really shocking story for several reasons. One is if you study anything about Roman culture and you know the kinds of relationships that Roman males had with their slaves, it's shocking that Jesus would participate in something like that. But also that's a slave, right? And we know that Jesus is not condoning slavery. He does kindness to this man because we don't do kindness with some ulterior motive, not even the ulterior motive of bringing about their repentance. Mm -hmm. And even though I agree with everything that Diana Butler Bass said about hospitality and salvation, 
that's tricky for us to hear because a lot of us only think about hospitality as a way to bring about salvation, right? That we show hospitality to people so that they will come to know Jesus. And that's not true. We don't show hospitality in order for them to come to know Jesus. We show them hospitality. That is them coming to know Jesus, right? Like that is, there's no ulterior motive. There's no other agenda. And so much so that John Chrysostom, who's probably the preacher of hospitality in the ancient church, he says, if you knew someone was going to murder you, your responsibility as a Christian is to invite them into your house and serve them bread. If you knew that person was going to kill you, right? That's obviously radical, right? But that's the kind of, and, and he makes the connection to, that's what Jesus does on the cross. He knew what these people were going to do, and he hosted Judas anyway. He went to the garden anyway. He washed his feet. He washed his feet, right? And the, I think, I don't believe I am anywhere near ready to do that. But I, I think we should be honest with ourselves that that's what we're called to, right? That kind of hospitality, right? Where we show kindness to people because we show kindness to people. And again, to go to another hot topic debate several years ago, the bake a cake debate, you know, would you bake a cake for a gay wedding, shows the mentality of we only show hospitality if it's morally acceptable to us. And that's antichrist. That's good. I, I'm not exactly sure what to say right now. <laughs> um, I, I can do this. You're the pastor, so I can just say all these provocative right, things right, right. and you have to handle it. Yeah, sure. It's not very hospitable of me. No, no you're doing fine. You're doing fine. The, the point there, uh, a couple of things. One is that hospitality is not a lever to do something because cause God doesn't use God's love in order to coerce us exactly. or manipulate us. It's God's Love is God's love, and that transforms us. And that forms us in the way that we're supposed to be, Absolutely. as opposed to the deformed way that often our practices do. And, and the, the point there, too, about the way we we'd kind of measure our hospitality just, just to some, but maybe not to others. I mean, Chrysostom's idea that uh, if you knew somebody's going to kill you, you should still welcome them in and give them bread. Yeah, I should I mean, have added this detail. He says, if you know they're hungry. If you know they're hungry. So if you know they're hungry, yeah. and you know that even bringing them in to give them bread will put you at risk, even if they're going to kill you. you yeah, know it, do it. And, I, and I think this is, I think that is so good and so important because sometimes we imagine that whatever the Christian life is supposed to be, it must be something that I can attain or therefore I shouldn't believe in it. Right, right. But I think what, what, what Christ is calling to us to is something more. Yeah, it's nothing less than God's own life. Right, right exactly. So, so we, might, we might take nonviolence. So uh, nonviolence, I think, is a, is a Christian standard. I don't always live up to it. Sometimes I behave more violently. I get angry. I, I get impatient. My ego gets in the way. That doesn't discount the ideal that God is calling me to. I mean, if God's calling to me to holiness, then God's calling me to holiness. I don't have to lower what I think yeah. Christ is calling me to because I regularly can't get there. Yeah. So in the same way, this, this hospitality is a high one, right? It's a high bar. But it's, it's what Christ does. It's what God does uh, in the Spirit. The Spirit does. Yeah, and I think that's what you see, you know, like Paul in Philippians when he says... I've not attained it, but I'm striving toward it, right? So that I think one way of thinking about Christian maturity is 
striving for that which you know you will never attain, but not striving any less, right? That yeah. that is what it means to be mature, right? So it's immature to say, I can't reach it, so I won't try, or it's immature to say, I can't reach it, so I'll dumb it down so that it's reachable. Yeah, Maturity exactly. is, it's unreachable, and I'm called to it anyway. Right. So we, we, we kind of talked about the hospitality kind of within God, within the Trinity, and then hospitality, how we're invited, hospitality in terms of how we might practice it, both kind of maybe personally and at a larger scale, you know, out in our communities or maybe even at a kind of policy level. Yes. What, what would it look like if we kind of turned the lens the other direction and came not just personal but kind of almost ultra-personal, like in our yeah. own our souls? Our to ourselves, Yeah, right? in yeah. terms of hospitality. Yeah, so I had an experience once. Julie and I were at home, and I was working, and she was watching Oprah's show that day, and I was watching it with her because we were sitting there together. And it was a show about women who had been abused by the men in their lives and what to do about it. And the therapist who was the guest that day said to the women, you will have to learn to forgive yourselves. And I remember feeling like the Lord said to me, there are some gifts you can't give yourself. Mm. And forgiveness is one of those things. But then later, I realized there are ways in which we have to accept the gifts that have been given. So I can't forgive myself, but I can accept that I've been forgiven. Mm. So I think part of being hospitable to God, like there's this wonderful line, I heard a terrible sermon once. I've heard more than one terrible sermon, but once I heard a terrible sermon um, that had a great line in it. And the great line in the sermon was, we are called to be a habitat for God. Mm. We are called to be a habitat for God. And he was getting it from the Ephesians, like you are a habitation of God through the Spirit. Horrible sermon, but really a great line. And I think that part of what would it mean to make our souls habitats for God is to constantly remind ourselves the truth that God has said about us. Right? So that I can't forgive myself, but I don't have to. I am forgiven. So reminding myself, I'm forgiven. That's the truth, I think, in terms of bringing healing into our lives, right? Like the, there's, there's no room for self-help, but there is room for holy self-talk, right? Like we don't... That's good. We, we have to learn to talk to ourselves in ways that are reminding ourselves of the truths God has said about us. I'm terrible at this, by the way, but I think it's true anyway. That's okay. I think we don't, we don't have to be good at it necessarily to be aware of it, right? Although I think we are called to practice it. And one of the practices that we often do, and it's one that Diane mentioned you know, in the opening video, is that the way in which the table, the Lord's table, is a practice of hospitality. Absolutely. And we regularly practice it because we need to be um, celebrating the Lord's table, because we need the practice of being hospitable so that it, it can regularly, or I'll say naturally, spiritually, mm. um, kind of flow kind of out of who we are. Yeah. So talk to us a bit about the table and hospitality and, and lead us in, in, the, in the celebration of the table, so, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, Callistos Ware, who's an Orthodox bishop, taught at Oxford for years, probably the most well-known English-speaking Orthodox theologian. Uh, he says that 
the question to ask yourself about communion to, in order to understand it is who is giving what to whom? Who is giving what to whom? And essentially what he says is it's an unanswerable question because as soon as you try to answer it, there's another answer that's also true, equally true. So he says in one way, the table is about what God is giving to us, right? That God is giving Christ to us. The spirit is making the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Christ for us. So one way of, of conceptualizing what's happening at communion is God is the host, we are the guests, and God is giving us himself. But it's also true that the Eucharist is called the Eucharist because it's us giving thanks to God. Right? So in one way, we're bringing our gifts of bread and wine. And is, this is a, a, a meal in which we're saying to God, you're our guest. Right? Welcome to our house. or these are our, This is what we can bring to your house as, as a gift. And it's not just God to us and us to God, but it's also us to each other, right? That when we serve communion, we serve it. I've been in churches sometimes where you take communion. That's a terrible, terrible practice, right? We don't take communion. We serve it. We give it, right? You don't come to the table and take something for yourself, right? When I, the church that didn't grow that I planted, even though I'd taken a master's degree in church growth, um, one of the things we did when we started doing weekly communion is we had it set on a table for people to come and take it. And then I, I had an epiphany. This is literally a contradiction of communion, right? You don't come and take it, right? It's a gift. You, you come and receive it. And when today, in just a few moments, when we, when we share it together, I mean, I think it's important that we realize this is not just God giving to us and us giving to God, but it's us giving to each other. And us giving God to each other and us giving ourselves to each other. Yeah. Right? So there's, a, there's, a long, there's an old debate. You'll have to shut me up because this is about communion. So I'll talk too long. But um, We want to get to the table. <laughs> yes, we do want to get to the table. Real, really quick. Um, the, the point about whether the table should be open to everybody or it should be kept to believers. Right? So this is a debate that's been raging for, for centuries, generations. But the, the, the point the debate, in the debate that's worth considering is communion is not just God welcoming us, which of course means the table's open for everybody because God isn't going to keep anyone away and we shouldn't keep anyone away. So the idea of like fencing the table is antichrist. But there is a way in which at communion we're also giving ourselves to each other. So when I come and break this bread and give it to you, I'm not just saying this is who God is to you. I'm saying this is who I will be to you. Hmm. I'm making a covenant about my own life to these people, right? I'm, it's, and in that sense, we should take it very seriously, right? That it, yes, it is anyone who wants to come, come. But know when you come, you're saying something about the kind of community we are and the kind of person you want to be in that community. Amen. Not just who God is to you. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.